The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Ready when you are, people. Welcome to a new episode of The Shaken and Stirred Show. I'm Nigel Barker in New York, and I'm here with my co-host and great friend, who now looks like a peach melba, Tom Astor. Tom, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm feeling peachy. Peachy, nice, peachy. I'm looking peachy. I'm using new filters that we just discovered on um, Zoom. Terrifying. Terrifying yeah. when you discover that there are filters. In fact, we discovered it because our producer, Anna Marie, decided to have a permanent tan, which, you know, once working with her for over a year, we realized that she's not really ever had a tan of this nature before. And now she always has a tan. And it turns out she doesn't have a tan. She has a Zoom filter. So and Tom you... has now become a Peach Melba because of the filters. And you're using the paler filter because you normally have a tan and you don't. That's because um, I actually found out I've got limes. Dun, dun, dun. Um, I found out I've got limes, people. Um, those bloody ticks that you get upstate. I thought you were about, I thought you were about to say I found out I was half Sri Lankan. Well, I am half Sri Lankan, but I'm, I'm still half Sri Lankan. The limes didn't manage to suck that out of me. What happens with limes is you go on a course of antibiotics, which, by the way, you can have alcohol with these antibiotics, I've found out. But, um, but what you can't do is stay in the sun. You have to be out the sun so, no sunlight so as a result um i'm becoming anemic for me um but anyway what are you drinking tom i'm having a disarano fizz again Very, no it's a different no it's different completely different from last time this is much this is even simpler i don't have last no last time was quite involved it was disarano based but i quite like my disarano this is a different take on on the last cocktail this is but this is really simple this is this is super healthy this is oh. soda, soda water, which is super healthy. Fresh lemon juice, super healthy, and disarano. And, and you literally don't need any um, sugar in it or anything. Stirred. Oh. Yeah. That is How is that a fizz? I thought fizz always had like egg white or something in it. So, soda water is fizzy. Oh, you just made up the name. This is your own cocktail, basically. No, no. It was as usual. I had my assistant make it for me, my girlfriend. Wow. Um, Yes, I love it. Well, I, my friend, am drinking um, something I made up as well. I was digging through my refrigerator and I found that there was some pomegranate juice. And I thought, pomegranate juice. Then I'm like, wait a second, bite behind the pomegranate juice was passion fruit juice. And I'm like, whoa, oh, I'm going to do a combo passion fruit, pomegranate, with just a dash of pomegranate. And it's actually with tequila, lime juice, and Cointreau shaken and then poured over a very large ice cube. And I recently got this very cool ice cube making um, sort of paraphernalia, which produces very nice, massive, clear ice cubes. Takes forever. Uh, you put hot water in them. It has a whole base, a basin of water that freezes underneath it, but it produces completely crystal clear, big, fat ice cubes. So cheers, my dears. Yes, nice. I think that's the first time I've ever had anyone try and make water cool, but there we go. I mean, you know what I mean? Um, um. Yeah, I will try and make anything cool, even water. But I do like a good ice cube. I'm very partial to a good, solid, big ice cube. But I do think it makes a difference because the little ones, they dissolve in your drink too quickly. There's too much surface area because of all the, you know, there's, there's lots of them in your glass. And one big one just looks beautiful in there. And I found that when I drink my cocktail, the ice cube's still in there in the end. But that's probably because I just drink it fast. I suddenly realized as I was saying it. <laughs> yeah, or, or you're not really drinking that much. Because there's a fucking great big ice cube taking up all the space. Doesn't well, sound very sad. Then there's that. Then there's that. So, people, booze news. A little bit of booze news before we get to our extraordinary guest this week. Our booze news is that once again, supermodels and celebrities are getting in on the drinks business. Although this time, a non-alcoholic version. And why this makes it onto booze news, because it isn't even alcohol, is because they are marketing themselves as an alternative to having a drink in the bar. And they're in all the places you would find a good alcoholic beverage. Bella Hadid, the supermodel, has joined forces with the brand Kin Euphorics um, and has apparently become co-founder and a partner. Now, the reason why I sort of say co-founder as if it's a surprise 
is because the brand's been around for a few years already and she just signed with them. I'm not sure you can be a founder if you're not there at the beginning. But hey, semantics, people. She's the co-founder, and uh, and I'll just take it at a word there. And she actually gave it. She wrote on her Instagram account. The reason why I'm coming on with Kin is not only to consistently give you new formulas, creatives and products, which by the way, if that wasn't written by a PR agency, I don't know what was. Um, but she also said, but to also teach you about brain health and how we can help with social, personal, physical and mental pressures we face on a regular basis. Well, that's what I want to learn from a supermodel for sure. Um, anyway. They've, this is a female-owned brand. They've raised over $10 million in funding since 2018. And the, uh, the woman who actually started it, called Bachelor, um, which is slightly ironic for a female brand, um, told Vogue that it gets very lonely running a company on your own. And that's why she listed Bella Hadid. So there you have it, people. If you're lonely, get yourself a supermodel. Um, that's booze news for you. <laughs> We're on to our rather wonderful guest. Our guest today is a speaker, author, certified meditation coach, and the CEO and founder of The Daily Shifts, an online company dedicated to inspiring lasting transformation of the mind, body, and soul, and has just released his first book, Holy Shit, We're Alive, The Psychedelic Journey of an Ex-Mormon Millionaire. Please welcome Doug Cartwright. Doug, welcome. So good to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while now. Fantastic. So by the way, I'm looking at you and I can't quite tell whether you're either in a hospital bedroom because <laughs> I look at the what's going on behind you. You also look like an astronaut because of your, your, what you're wearing on your ears, these huge silver headphones and this sort of what looks like a jumpsuit that could be an Maybe astronaut. Maybe I got to zip it up more. Maybe if I put the hood on too. <laughs> now we're literally going to space with Doug Cartwright, which I think might Let's go be to space. he's been taking. Now he feels like he has to be in space. Yeah, I'm currently in uh, Marina del Rey, California. Um, so I, I'm in a hotel room, right? Not in a hospital. But uh, by the way, I, so I recently bought these. These are the new Apple AirPod Pro Max, I think is what they're called. AirPod. And they're, they're incredible. A, AirPod on steroids? That's the biggest right. thing I've ever seen. So these are the old AirPods, right? They last for like 45 minutes. I put these things on. It has like a 12-hour battery life. So I'm all about these new AirPods. Even though I look like an astronaut, I'm all for it. How can those be an AirPod? The other thing's tiny, goes in your uh, ear. I know. Of course, this has a 12-hour battery. Look at the size of it. It looks like you've got a Tesla stuck to your head. It, it's fantastic. I'm all about the technology. Turn, it's slowly turning into a cyborg. No, but the technology is meant to get smaller, not bigger. Yeah. I mean, how hey. can say there's more batteries if there's a huge thing on your head? I mean, yeah. come on, Apple. Get with the frigging program here. we got to go with the program. What are you drinking, Doug? So I, I thought about this for a while, and I'm doing something. This is... It's going to sound like a sponsored post, but it's not. So I love these things right here called Athletic Greens. I'm not a big alcohol drinker. I don't drink, really. So I drink this every morning. It's like 75, what does it say out here? 75 proven whole food ingredients. So I just put it in my water bottle. But here's the thing. It tastes like shit. It's like straight green juice. It is not tasty at all. Oh, this is not sounding like an advertis adver advertisement for this product at this point. You're but good. But here's the, here's the key. I throw in an emergency packet, like this super orange emergency packet into it as well. And it helps with the taste. And so it's like, I drink this every day after my workout. I was going to say, this and is something that we drink in the morning after we've gone drinking. Yep. So this I'm making it, I'm making it right now, pouring this baby in, mix in with the emergency plus, apparently from what they say on the internet, vitamin d and zinc help with covid maybe i don't know if that's true or not throwing that in as well Put those headphones on you're fine you won't get covid exactly they're blockers they certainly and are. i shake this up and there we go it's a it's a it's a it's a power drink no you see you're clearly missing the vodka or the tequila or the gin clearly missing the vodka i'm more of, i'm more i'm more i'm more of a tequila guy. when i do drink i'm more of a tequila guy so when you do drink, you do know this is a drinking cocktail show. I love I it. Do. He brings himself on with some weird little packets <laughs> and, and some vitamin stuff, horrible little things, throws it into what looks like a baby's bottle, shakes it around with some horrible water from the tap, and then he's trying to drink it and tell me it's good. Doug, I'm not convinced. I think you've had far too many of these psychedelics, and I want to get to your psychedelics. Let's get into it, yeah. Really put you on some strange path. You've <laughs> written this book, Holy Shit, We're Alive, that's what got me my attention in the first place, because I'm on a mission to be to really realize just the fact that we are alive and that we need to stop and smell the roses and take sort of 
take every moment as it comes, right? Talk to us about, you know, this book, first of all, tell us a little bit about the book, but I want to get into who you are and your story too. Yeah. Yeah. So the title, the, the title is interesting. So I grew up in uh, East, the East side of Salt Lake City, Utah, which is an upper middle-class neighborhood where everyone is white and everyone is conservative in their political beliefs and everyone is Mormon. And so growing up, I kind of didn't have a lot of diversity. And this was kind of before social media, before, you know, internet of sorts, it was slowly coming on. And so I didn't know any different. So my whole life, I always was doing what I was supposed to do. And so like, when you're growing up in the church, like your whole life is laid out for you. You know, you're taught as a kid, like, this is where you are before you're born. You're like a spirit in spirit heaven. And then you choose to come have a body. And then the purpose of your life is a test. And you go to school and you get good grades and then you go on your service mission, um, which we get into in the Mormon faith, they have LDS service missions and you get married and then you have kids and then you get a good job and you buy the white picket fence and then you die. And so like your whole life is planned out for you. So and there you so, go. In a nutshell, that's what being a Mormon is. And by the way, I did not know that that's what it was. <laughs> I like the way you paraphrase the whole thing there. That's yeah. pretty funny. Uh, I'm sure there's a few Mormons out there and be like, wait a second. Yeah like that but, but i but anyway that is that is fascinating that you know obviously your background as a, as a mormon so that sets you up for you know at that point as a kid then were you not enjoying that life as a child i'm curious because before we jump forward because i'm sure you've told this story a few times mm. about where you started that that is a very poignant part of your life and we like to right. dig into that so what you know growing up you know in, in that environment were you happy? Were you unhappy? Were you already searching? Were you confused? What, I mean, what what did it feel like to grow up in that life? It was incredible. I had an amazing childhood. And as I get older, I realize how rare and how special it was that I had parents that like loved and supported me. Like I came from a very loving, safe home. And you don't realize until you get older about you hear all these horror stories. And as I get older, I really, really appreciated the way I was raised. And so I had a great childhood. Uh, my dad was not a Mormon. My mom was. And so I didn't have this very super strict household that a lot of people do. And so that kind of left room for kind of this open mindedness leeway. But overall, my childhood was fantastic. Can you be born into a more, you know, I, I'm wondering like the Jewish faith, like it go travels yeah. the female line. Is it what, how does it work with the Mormons? So it's, yeah, it's not like, I never claim like Mormon is my heritage role. Like Jews will call themselves like, Jews by heritage where Mormon it's more of like you get baptized when you're eight years old and it's a very strict living you know requ not requirements in a sense but just like a standard of living is very very high so it's no sex no alcohol no caffeine so people in Mormon faith don't drink coffee and you go to your religious services on Sunday and I mean the Mormon church does have a lot of great traits but it's very, I think, a close-minded. It's, it's a very much like a church, I believe, in my opinion, for like white people. Wow. I mean, that. so what, 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 what are their sort of things that they're allowed to do? I mean, if you're not allowed to drink, not allowed to have alcohol, not allowed to have sex. I mean, what you, yeah. sex before marriage, you mean, clearly. Yeah, sex before marriage. Yeah, once you're, once you're married, it's like have all the sex you possibly can and have as many kids as you want. So like the average Mormon has like five kids. Wow. There you go, too. You hear, you, hear, you hear Mormon families that have like 10 to 12 kids. It's insane. My mom has, you know, nine siblings. So it's crazy. So you call yourself an ex-Mormon. So clearly you've got, you know, you can say all this because you're not currently practicing Mormon. And you, you are also an ex-Mormon millionaire. So what happened next? Yeah. So going back into my childhood, the, the, you know, one thing I realized was a big, big, more bigger of a deal than I realized was I grew up as a fat kid too. So I was like the chubby, pudgy kid that like kind of got teased every now and then. And then I remember when I was like in second grade, I'll never forget. It, I was a recess older kid who I thought was cool. Um, we were playing football and he made fun of me and called me the fat kid. And that was, like when you're in second grade, you're not self-aware. It's not like I was like sizing myself up against these other kids. But I remember that was the first time I'm like, oh, something's wrong with me. Like, I'm not good enough. Like something's physically wrong with me. I'm fat. And so that was the, that's where I created like this origin story that I talk about in our, in the book is like, everyone kind of has an origin story when they were a kid at one point, something traumatic happened in their life. And then they tell themselves, I'm not good enough. And then they spend the rest of their life trying to prove that false. 
I know that's what you do. I mean, that, and I know that's what a lot of people do. But is there all, are there also people out there who, I don't know, uh, think that they are told they're not good enough, but then don't believe it, actually go the opposite direction and go, I'm actually, I'm going to spend my life proving that I'm, I'm all, I am the, I am the best at this and sod anybody else telling me that I'm not as good as that. Yeah. And I, I agree. And I think that stems though, the core root of that decision-making is to feel like they're not going to, they're scared that they're not going to, they want to prove it right. Right. They want to prove it true. And so it causes them to like, you know, create, you know, massive success, which is great, but it's the underlying tone behind it all is like this fear of not being good enough. You, you're accusing every alpha male out there then of having an actually an underlying sort of problem issue with them. That's the reason why they're not picking alpha and they were like going to succeed i'm going to win i'm yeah. going to be competitive i'm going to win the race i mean is that then is that apply across everything like olympians to sort of heads of business to or some of them i mean obviously some of them just have got great ideas but there's a lot of people out there who, you know you what you all often think about this competitive spirit that we live by at the west and certainly in the us where you know, everything is a competition to some extent. Yeah, and I don't think it's wrong. I don't think that's a bad thing, a bad way to live. It's not like this is good or bad or right or wrong. It's just so many people use that to fuel thinking that if they accomplish something, if they get the gold medal in the Olympic, you know, scenario you said, then I'll be okay. So it's almost like, okay, if I can just get everything right in order in the right way and I can get my business and get my wife and get my partner and then I get the gold medal, then I can be, then I'll be okay. And so, but that never comes. Very funny is happening right now. Tom has been attacked by a ferret. Which I know. The whole time, know. the whole time he was moving around like crazy, and I knew Tom has ferrets, people. And so I Tom, Doug has been trying to tell us about his childhood and the Mormon faith. Tom has been jumping around in his seat like a jackass, and I mean, what is going on? And I realized by the way he was grabbing his leg that a <laughs> ferret is trying to climb up his leg and basically bite his nuts. Tom, I want. What is happening? Yeah. yeah, sorry. My girlfriend's decided that it's like this is the right moment to have like ferret playtime, you know, exercise time. Literally, she's got ferret. They're not my ferrets, they're her ferrets. I don't really like ferrets very much. And you have to put your socks, roll your socks on above your trousers to stop because they will go up your trousers if you give them a, a, the chance. So, so you're tucking we, your pants into your socks? I've you done that already, but they're still. <laughs> Pull up my leg and then trying to also bite my leg whilst climbing up it because that's what they like doing. So unless you go, I don't know, I don't know quite know the antidote to being bitten by a ferret other than to do what I was just doing, which was <laughs> putting my feet in the air and trying to remain, trying to look, you know, trying to oh, concentrate. You did a wonderful job of it, Tom. Don't worry, I had no idea at all. Clearly, um, let, Sorry. let I'm moving yeah. straight. See what we have to deal with on this show. Yeah, see? like you never know when there's a surprise ferret attack. You never yeah. know what's happening on the, on the Shaken and Stirred show. That's what we like to do. We keep everyone on their toes and not quite sure. You, so, okay. So then how did you then go on to be a become a millionaire? I mean, it's not easy to become a millionaire. You're already, you're young enough already right now. So what was it? What was the, what was the next step for you? Yeah. So I'm living in this story that I'm not enough. I'm the fat kid. I don't belong in the society. Another part of the story is I get sent home from my Mormon. I went on a Mormon mission and I got sent home early. I got kicked off. And so now I've got like this overweighting, you know, feeling of not being accepted in my community, not being enough. And so the idea goes off in my head. I was like, oh, well, if I can go make a bunch of money, right, then society will accept me because the way our society is, is we value people of wealth. And so this is going to sound crazy, but there's in Utah, because there's a lot of, a lot of kids, you know, 19, 20, 21 year olds go on LDS service missions to know how to knock doors, know how to talk to people about church. And so these sales companies will hire these guys to go door to door and sell their products. And so there's an industry in America, whether it's solar panels or alarm systems that have crazy high margins. And I got recruited to work for a sales company that had uncapped commissions. It was hundred percent commissions. And basically I'm making anywhere from a thousand dollars for every sale I could get. And then they make it like a pyramid scheme. So for every person I recruit underneath me, I then get a percentage of their deals as well. And so I was kind of well-known growing up in my community. So I mastered this form of sales and became really, really, really good at it where I could sell, you know, two to six every single day. And then I, throughout my career, I recruited, you know, over a hundred people 
So I created like this pyramid in door-to-door -door sales and we would travel across the country in the US and go to these towns and we would sell this product. And the thing that was amazing about it was that the product we were selling was really, really, really good. It was an incredible product. And so it wasn't like it was a scam. It was like we had, we were the first to market in the smart home space. So we we're the first person ever in 2011, we knock on your door, you've got a smartphone, we'll sync up your alarm system with cameras, unlock your doors, change your thermostats, you can do it all on your phone and no one had seen that before. And so we was just like a gold rush and we just ransacked the United States. Doug, do you think the Mormons are better at door to door than the um, Jehovah's Witnesses? I mean, if you can sell someone on the idea that Joseph Smith found gold metal plates in his backyard and got visited by God and that he's a true prophet and people convert to that, I mean, I think that's a pretty good sales job. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, 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 seriously. So it, it, I, now when any of you guys come to my front door, which does happen once in a while, I now realize that the whole thing is a scam. You're basically all training to become door-to-door -door -door salesmen to make yourselves millionaires in pyramid schemes. And this is just the training. If you can sell this craziness, then you'll be fine selling something which a good product comes along. Unbelievable. If, if, if a kid from Utah, a Mormon knocks on your door, right? I promise you he has heard of door-to-door -door summer sales and he was and he's going to get recruited when he gets home. I would I would bet my life on it. Amazing. Amazing. I said if I get the Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on my door, I I, I you know make my apologies, but I, I say that the I've got a great friend down the road who is, has always been fascinated with Jehovah's Witnesses and has always kind of wanted to visit. And I picked someone I don't particularly annoyed me or irritated me recently. And I send them down, I send them and give them the address and, then, and they want all the literature. And I bombard them with literature and, and convince the Jehovah's Witnesses that what they want is, is the meeting. So I haven't heard, and I've, I've never, I've never put, no one's ever actually, when I've done it, no one, I've never heard of the, kind of what actually happened afterwards i don't know why yeah well there you go they probably got recruited and, and sort of taken to another planet or something whatever i don't I like that so look here we are your, your your life story is is quite amazing it's very interesting and i think and it plays into everything you do you have this uh, program called or you're the founder of this company called the daily shifts um and, and it's all about your journey through trauma introspection healing and you know, talk to us about you this 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 company because it's very interesting it's led you on to obviously to your book but this is something which is clearly very necessary right now there is so yeah, many yeah. people who especially through the pandemic who are very lost are very confused are lonely are anxiety is through the roof uh, we've had a lot of people on recently in all different fields from comedy to business leaders talking about mental health and it's an overarching theme in everything that we do. Um, I, I, you know, so for you, you know, obviously something happened. What was the shift that happened to you in your life that caused you to obviously become an ex-Mormon, throw away what you were do doing and say the hell did it all? Yeah, so in 2017, I, I fell victim to what I've coined in my book um, as the success void. And what the success void was is if I were to give you a resume of my life, like it would look successful, great job, great money, cool house, cool car, travels, goes to the spring events, dates pretty girls, you know, it looks successful, but I had like this deep void. Like, I didn't know who I was. I didn't feel fulfilled. The church thing wasn't working out for me. And then on June 10th, 2017, and those that'll read the book will really, you know, read the depth of how cool the story is. I had my first psychedelic experience and my first time using psychedelics was so incredibly profound that it shattered the constructs of reality into confetti and it left me so raw so vulnerable so questioning my life that it led me on a two-year journey of like down the rabbit hole so basically where i tried you're not you're not sponsored by that horrible green powder you had at the beginning you're actually sponsored by a drug company i can tell i'm, I'm sponsored by the psychedelic community this is, this is what i'm saying right now i'm like everyone mm. who's listening to this is like okay sign me up when are we doing psychedelics um what psychedelics were you doing can you t talk about the specifics so which is really fascinating and it still doesn't make sense today my first experience ever was with mdma which some people don't even you know consider a psychedelic but my my experience on mdma was so profound that it Ex left me ecstasy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's so the I, chemical name, right? MDMA. Yeah, MDMA. Yep. Um, and that 
first time, you know, I really felt like the way I perceived it is I went to another dimension and was like communicating with spiritual guides and like seeing the purpose of life. And that experience was so insane that that led me down. I was so curious where that eventually led me to work with psilocybin and LSD and ayahuasca and 5 me. So wait a second, you just said work with. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You gotta, you gotta work, you work with them. You gotta work with it. it, it it's there's, an experience. There's a movement at the moment. I've got a friend of mine who, 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 well, this lady, she's in her seventies now. She, she has been working for a long time. She's got a thing called the Beckley Foundation. And she is basically, you know, the amount of money that's been spent on drugs, is, you know, bonkers. And she is, she's got people like Bill Clinton on, on, you know, on the foundation. And she's got some big names and she is, um, you know, she is a big sort of big believer and a, and a devotee of, you know, microdosing. Um, and, you know, and, and the funny thing is, you know, I remember, you know, 15 years ago, people going, you know, it's crazy, they should do planning. And then this crazy lady, you know, just taking drugs and trying to get it, you know, so it's a good idea. But the evidence is, I mean, the evidence is, is really, really kind of becoming irrefutable whereby the uh, micro mush, mushroom magic mushrooms psych um what's it called psychocybin yeah or, and, psilocybin. And all, psilocybin um all microdosing actually actually is is very having a really tangible effect on lifting depression people who have had chronic depression but for, for for a long for years and and have no way out of it have literally been prescribed or be self-medicating i suppose um, the, you know, the, my, the, doses, the dosages are big, though. They're not that small. I mean, it's eventually microdosing. But I heard I was talking to a guy just the other week who was talking about these uh, magic mushrooms specifically. And um, whereas, you know, some of the dosages that you, you're offered for depression are, are massive compared to the. Yeah, yeah it's the, called a, it's called a heroic dose. Yeah. And so anything about, about right? you, you're the man, I, I want to hear about the heroic dose that you took and uh, all, the, all these different crazy things. Half of these I've only ever heard about. I've not experienced myself, but did you, I mean, okay. So you go down this rabbit hole, you were able to come out of the rabbit hole. Are you still doing psychedelics? Um, I rarely do psychedelics. I mean, I might do like one night of ayahuasca a year now, just as like tune up. Uh, so tell um, everyone what ayahuasca is, because it's that's uh, that's something which is, I, you know, it has a lot of myth and legend around it. That's a whole. I mean, ayahuasca is a whole different beast. I mean, it's there's no way to describe it. It's the closest human words because it's not a human experience. Like the closest human words are, in my experiences, my soul was taken out of my body and I got through the veil and saw the inner workings behind the matrix that we live in. I mean, it sounds insane. It sounds you communicate with entities from other dimensions. And Holy it's, shit, we're alive. Yeah. And, but what it does, it, it gives you, it, it shows you your deep subconscious blind spots in your life and where you've experienced pain or trauma or suffering. And it really just cleans out the gutters and gives you new ideas and new perspectives with fresh eyes. And the ayahuasca experience is so profound. It's, it's the equivalent of being reborn. And there's no way to describe it. So what, what Tom was saying is, you know, you, you mentioned microdose. So a microdose would be, microdose is really popular with psilocybin and LSD. Um, microdose would be about one tenth of a gram. So it's not, you're not going to hallucinate on it, but it's kind of just going to turn the lights on. Um, so one tenth of a gram is a microdose. A hero's dose would be about four grams or more. So it's a lot. And you wear a blindfold and you lay down with a therapist and you listen to music for, you know, four to seven hours. And you go through this journey of like your life and your trauma and your childhood and the, the pain you felt. And you're able to like deal with it. And so when I say work with it, you're working with the medicine and you're working out your trauma. And when you're done, it leaves you so healed. It sounds like when we were kids. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, we didn't have a teacher. We just, and we didn't wear a blindfold either, mate. I mean, I, and this is ridiculous. If someone, someone of our generation has decided to take what we were doing for fun and actually make a living out of it. I, I don't know what, even know where to go with this. I'm listening to him and I'm like, wait a second. This is what we used to do in our rooms and our bedrooms yeah. and, and hanging out and 
God knows what else when I would sit, I remember sitting with Tom one time and doing mushrooms in near Stonehenge with my old house. And I thought the eyes were opening and I was going to get swallowed up by something that was coming out of the, you probably don't even remember. Look at you. He can't, he can't <laughs> even remember the time when it even happened. But I mean, you know, I mean, it's, I was, I was listening, I'm talking to someone about mushrooms the other day and they were talking about how, you know, that it, it, it sort of, there are pathways of what, how we remember things in our brain and they're sort of channels that are sort of carved. Yes. And then when you do mushrooms, if you think about it as like water traveling down those channels, it's as if when you do the mushrooms that the water floods over the channels and goes over the top of it. And all of a sudden it's like an ocean. And all of a sudden you're able to see things in many different, in, in different ways than you've sort of trained yourself to see things. So all of a sudden infinite possibilities are open for you. You don't have to see things, see things in only one direction. You see things in many different ways, which helps exactly. you. Exactly. Right. Yeah, it literally rewires your neural pathways. And so, you know, an example I talk is like, if you're a little boy and when you were six, you were at your friend's house and his dog bit you, right? You now have a trauma experience where in your head, you've believed that dogs equal, I'm gonna get bit, stay away from dogs. And they, that's just the neural pathway. It works the same way. And these experiences, it, it, it creates new patterns. So then it's like, oh, actually dogs aren't bad. Dogs are man's best friend and I can learn to love dogs. And it cleans out that old neural pathway. And so that's one example. Doug, can, it go really the other way? can it go the other way, Doug? Can it not be if you go in and you love dogs and it decides yeah. to have a pathway of dogs can bite you? Shit. Yeah. And all of a sudden you come out the other end and you're like, ah, dogs. And you've always loved dogs. I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, why does it have to be positive always? Or is it always positive? It, I think it just heightens your awareness. And so if you're in a situation where maybe you may be blind to a, a, a potential threat in the future, it's going to expose you to that potential threat. So yeah, absolutely. It could show you. So I think it just, you're so used to thinking like this. And just like you said, with the water analogy, the water rises and you're like, oh, there's so many new endless possibilities that I couldn't see because I was stuck in the channel. And so once you get your head up, you can see like, oh, actually this dog might be dangerous. Right. And so it'll cause you to, to, to pivot if you want to. And so it just, it just, yeah, it it it, it changes it, it changes your whole life when you, when you have a true you know deep healing cycle experience. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I've had first-hand experience with therapy, and I like to treat it like a safe place to explore my thoughts, feelings, and concerns. You know, we see the doctor and go to the gym to take care of our bodies, to prevent injury and disease. We do chores regularly to avoid a messy house. Going to therapy is just like that. It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness to prevent bigger issues down the road. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Shaken and Stirred listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash stirred. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash S-T-I-R-R-E-D. So what is the, the what, how do you say it again? Ayahuasca? Why, ayahuasca, yeah. Ayahuasca. What is that process like? What is that? What do you do? What is that? Just take us through for a moment for everyone to understand sort of taking it. What does it look like? How do you take it? What happens to you? What is the process? So a true ayahuasca ceremony, it's, it's led by a shaman, a facilitator, and the actual ayahuasca itself is a tea. You drink about a shot glass worth of tea, and it's the main ingredient is dimethyltryptyline, which is DMT. And somehow um, the Amazonian tribes understood. So anything like the plant over your right shoulder like has tons of DMT in it. But if you eat that normally, the, your, your stomach will die will break down the DMT compound and it won't be able to get to your brain. Somehow they realized in the uh, Amazonian jungle that if you 
boil the ayahuasca leaf. So ayahuasca is a tree, uh, a leaf. And if you boil it with a specific root, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but it coats the DMT. So when you ingest it, it gets through your stomach acid and gets up to your brain. I don't know how they figured that out, but they figured it out. So in that setting, it's done very ceremonial. It's very, the word I like to use is sacred. It's not like, hey, Friday night, what are you doing? You want to go do ayahuasca? No, it's like very intentional. It's very intense. And the actual experience itself, after you drink the tea, you kind of sit on a mat in a kind of a circular setting and there's light, the, the shaman will play music. And so the music really guides your experience. And the majority of people in an ayahuasca ceremony, there's a big purge, meaning you actually literally throw up or it comes out the back end or it's, it's, it's kind of sounds intense, right? But you're in the experience is energetically removing trauma, childhood abuse, sexual abuse, rape, like anything like this. It's removing these negative energies from you. And it can be a very, very intense you're experience. You're going to a party where you, you're not party, but you're- It's not once, a party. Once a year, you're going through a process where you're going to go through a massive vomiting session or diarrhea, which by yeah. the way, if it is coming out the back end, how do you plan for that? I mean, what are you wearing? A yeah. What the, so, how the hell does that work? I've, so lucky for me, I've done nine nights by ayahuasca. I've done nine sessions. I've never puked and I've never diarrhea ever. I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. So, but in that moment, you're still coherent enough where you can get up and go to the bathroom. Okay. Okay. That's yeah, what I was, I was worried yeah. that maybe it was just explosive. No, like, no, 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 no. Because this could be really ugly at this point. I'm like, Jesus Christ. So, because so it, no wonder, holy shit, I'm, we're alive. That's why yeah. I, was, I was wondering whether that's where you were leading with that particular book title. I'm like, okay, this gives a whole new light to the title of your book. But anyway. Well, well what's, what's incredible, it's very symbolic. So it's like, you can feel it in your body where it's like, oh, I feel really sick. And then you can actually pinpoint what it is. So it's like, oh, this is the uh, resentment I've had for my sister for the last 20 years because of this incident that happened. Like, why am I still carrying this around with me? This is so heavy. And then you literally purge it out physically and energetically, it feels like this release of like, oh my gosh, I should love my sister. I should stop holding this resentment. And it just creates these, it's, 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 it's insane. So there's a devil's advocate here because, you know, obviously look, you know, the, people have done drugs. You mm -hmm. know, People can feel the love when you're doing MDNA can do that. Ecstasy can mm -hmm. do that. You know, mm -hmm. Even cocaine can make people feel like, hey, oh, sure. I'm going to talk about it, right? So there's there's an aspect of, you know, of, of, of I understand where you're coming from, but does it actually, at the end of all of this, do you feel like you've accomplished something? Like you've you've purged that and you're now over it? And, and there, I mean, why one for one, why do you keep going back? And two, you know, is it, is it do you have a result out of it? or do you just have an awareness out of it? A little bit of both. So it does kind of invoke you and, and swarm you with love and, and openness and connection. So you feel kind of inspired to do the work, but psychedelics don't do the work for you. They show you the way, they show you the path, they show you your homework, right? And then you have to go and integrate it, right? You have to go physically actually make the changes and that's a lot of work. And so the actual, the hardest part of ayahuasca is how are you going to integrate your experience into your normal waking life? And which, which was the, the spark to why I started the daily shifts. My company was like, oh, we need an integration tool. People need help after having these experiences. How do we uh, implement healthy habits and tools and techniques in our daily life so we can continue to live you know, a, a fulfilling, deep, rich life? And so and all that, no, you don't have to do psychedelics to work with the daily shifts, but you know, I wanted to have a tool of how can I stay in this energy of love and light and connection and positivity? So talk to us about the daily shifts, because obviously this is, you know, you've, you, as I mentioned earlier, it's about your personal journey. You, you, this is what this reason why you created it because of mm -hmm. trauma and retrospection and healing, but you know, it, it, it's an app, right? So you can download this app and you can kind mm -hmm. of get on ball, but how, how does it help sort of the thousands of people that you've dealt with discover mental clarity and inner peace and all the rest of it? Yeah. So uh, what I realized was in my early twenties, when I was like gung ho door to door salesman made, you know, a couple million bucks, in my early twenties, I learned a lot of really good skills as far as leadership and goal setting and habits, right. And being, you know, relentless and determined and consistent, but I had no soulful peace. I didn't have any of the deep soul peace. Then I go on this little journey 
the spiritual awakening for two years where I did everything from ayahuasca to mushrooms, to burning man, to a static dance, to EMDR, to working with gurus, to psychologists, to float tanks, to meditation. I mean, all the woo woo, like did all the woo woo. And over there, I realized like, oh, there's lots of really cool, soulful habits, way of living that really connect me inner peace. And so it's like, how can I combine the two worlds? Like, how can I create an approachable, mindful uh, company that isn't going to seem woo-woo for the type A type? And that's how the daily shifts landed. And so I wanted to create something that was approached because in my world, in my old world, where I was like type A, go, 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 the yoga meditation crowd just seemed weird and woo-woo. And the, I wasn't into that. It, was, it, it didn't seem too, too weird and hippy-dippy for me. And so I want to create more of a middle ground where people can go and learn these soulful habits. And that's why I became a certified meditation coach is to teach meditation to like the normal average human being without like growing my hair out and rubbing mala beads. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This is the, yeah. this is the Mormon hippie right here. Yeah. Well, the Mormon, the Mormon hippie talking to, which by the way is far more like sort of um, David Bowie going to space. And it is, <laughs> I, I, it's hilarious actually just to sort of hearing you talk about this of the hippie dippies meanwhile my wife's a yoga teacher um and, and it's all about the the hippie di i live in woodstock yeah. new york yeah we're, we're, i'm i'm in the heart of crunchville up here so oh, you're in it i'm in it mate i i and i by the way i'm i'm not a hippie uh, or any of those things so but i you know i, I appreciate it. let live and let live but you know, so, okay, so people, how do they act, actually use an app? I mean, what are you, you said earlier that you don't expect people to, to do ayahuasca or to, to be necessarily doing the drugs. Do you encourage it on the app or how does it, how do people approach it? Well, how does it work? Yeah, so the app, we don't talk about psychedelic use at all on the app. So the app is really mindfulness practices. So when you first log in, you're going to set some goals for your life just to kind of keep them on the forefront of your mind. Cause I've realized a lot of people in life don't even know what direction they're heading. So it's, let's kind of get our feet in the ground and see which direction we're going to go. And then on a daily basis, the daily shifts, you're going to get reminders on your phone for very simple breath work techniques, gratitude practices, reminders to stay hydrated, to eat healthy, to move your body, right. To do your to-do list, to take little mini meditations, and just these really simple, easy to use tactics to keep you aligned and centered because life is crazy. I mean, especially right now, it's an, it's an insane time to be on planet earth, insane. And just like you said, you've had a lot of people on talking about mental health. And I think it's really important that we incorporate these mental health techniques such as meditation and breath work and especially gratitude to keep us grounded in these turbulent, turbulent times. You know, ultimately we were like, oh, it's a crazy time to be on planet earth. But if you look at history, have you ever watched, I mean, you know, we, we, any of us watch any show from back in yeah. the day, like from, if you go from, if you watch Netflix and there's the show about the Romans or there's a show about the Vikings or there's a show about bloody hell, you think you had it, we have it bad now. Imagine if there were marauding Vikings raping and pillaging through your village. Imagine if you lived through the Spanish flu when 20 million people died and they had no cure. Imagine if you lived through the second world war, the first world war, and you had rationing and people were bombing flying airplanes above your house and dropping bombs all over it, which is when my mum was alive. You know, there was, there was just like, we think we have it hard. It's always been hard. It's always been tough. It's actually oh, much really? easier now for some extent. For, for yeah, yeah, well, I think, yeah, but the problem, I, th I think the, the advent of, yeah, that was just bombing, you know, tough life, Spanish food, bombing, so, you know, living in as a 20 year old in Syria right now, you've never known anything other than war, right? 20 years, the first 20 years of your life, you've just been in a war in your house and you, you, know, you haven't got out. Um, but and I kept kind of people focused and occupied and it's like, you know, fight, it's like fight or flight, right? You, you're, you're constantly kind of up, it kept you busy. It kept you focused. You know, it didn't give you time to, I mean, you know, the, the concept of meditation during the blitz probably, you know, sound, it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but now, now, now what we've got is, is with, with like the younger generation, I was reading about this yesterday, Facebook have just been sort of busted for, uh, you know, that report that's been leaked, that they know that the effects that, that Instagram has on um, teenagers. You know, they've done the study, actually know, you know, they know it's having all these young minds. So in the old days, young minds, we've got school discipline, blah, 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 this is what it was, generally, the old generation protected you. You grew up, you know, in the same way, probably the same village. You know, everything was quite standard. You've now got, we're now kind of exposing, you know, 
these you know eleven year olds, ten year olds, twelve year olds to to this to this to this sort of awful. I mean, really, three poisonous kind of um, insecure. You know, making people feel insecure, making people getting body shame, making you know, like you were saying when you were at school and you were the kind of fat kid. You know, you've got kids literally comparing themselves and, and the, the sort of depression that people are going through for, for looking at the young kids seeing this because we haven't got a kind of bombing of wars going on. We haven't got anything to panic about. You know, but it, is it now more difficult because because actually we haven't got sort of the natural kind of you know risk around us and the risk is actually staring us in the face so it's kind of like um you know who, who why is there more teenage depression why is there so why are people generally so much you know less happy with the quality of their life when we've never been in a point in history where everybody's where we've had so much peace and so and such a great quality of living why is mental health you know it's not because people just discovered mental health why do you think mental health even become you know allowed to become an issue you know Good point, Tom. Yeah. I appreciate that, actually. What do you think, Doug? I think we're at a war with our mental key, right? We are attacked. Our attention, I mean, we've never been bombarded with this much information ever in the history of humankind, where I can literally pick up my phone and have access to any information and talk to anyone in the world and get insights on any topic. And as natural humans, is we like to be desirable, right? We want to be desired upon, and so... Now there's a bar. We, there's an actual rating system to be desirable. And it's really simple and really easy to click. And it's a way to be, and we're social beings as well. And so we wanted this now compare myself to other people. And I can now see if I'm desirable or not, whether it's through my physical appearance or my wealth or whatever it may be. And it's shown to us that those that are desirable equates happiness, right? I have the perfect body then I'll get the really pretty girl with the blonde hair and the big boobs and I can get, you know, any house I want. If I have a successful job, then I can get a bigger house and that equals fun. And so marketing behind all this is, has told us that if you get bigger, nicer, better things, you can have happiness too. And so it's like, we're all at war with each other, trying to be number one and being the most desirable. And it's literally killing us. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's, it's, we're at war with our minds, right? We're all, we're all at war with our own mind. No, I think it's, it's a fascinating point, actually. And I, I've often thought, and I've, I've talked to my wife about this too, where when we travel to Europe and we go to small towns in, in, in sort of Italy, for example, and you find people who are multi-generational owning a restaurant and people grow up, you know, waiting tables and they're very happy waiting a table their entire life. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's not a... You know, as we have in the US, you know, you know, you wait a table, it's a sort of part time job that you're because you're looking on, you're looking to become an actress or an actor, or you're looking right. to go on to do something else. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a job. It's almost like, eh, it's like a part. It's, you know, meanwhile, it's, you know, people oftentimes in, in Europe, in, you know, will the family owned businesses and they're happy no, to be happy. Yes, yes. I mean, sorry, you said that about Italy, less than that. I, I think it's kind of, I think, I mean, yes, maybe 25 years ago. You know, but now no, the paying Italians are paying people to, to go and inhabit these these towns up in the hills because all the young have gone. Because the young don't want to do that kind of you know, run the little restaurant at the bar that their parents did. They see Instagram and they want a friggin' jet plane. They want like the bright lights of Milan. They want the kind of again the pretty girlfriend that you know, that that's this is a real it's like it's it's like that essence of, you know, no one is being taught how to um how to appreciate themselves yeah and i think at the core on that note tom is i think a big problem is people i mean this is going to sound corny but people don't love themselves right they have that story that they're not enough and so the external validation it feels really really good for a short time and so we yeah. get addicted our dopamine and serotonin receptors get addicted to validation so it's like okay if i can have a certain amount of followers on instagram or be in the private jet then i'll be enough and so people are expecting something outside of them to fulfill their internal wound, right? I need you to tell me I'm great. I need the hot partner so I can feel finally feel good inside. What people don't realize is that cycle doesn't last. As long as you're expecting something outside of you to solve an internal problem, you'll never be fulfilled. And so that's the big message of my book is like, like I said, it's corny, but learning to truly, truly at your core, love yourself and accept yourself completely frees you 
because I no longer need external validation. I'll always yeah. want it. External validation, external validation feels good. But if I don't need it anymore, I can show up as my most unique, weird spaceman suit self with my earbuds on. And I don't give a shit because I love me. And so that allows me to actually share my uniqueness and my art and my gifts with the world because my self-worth isn't dictated upon how it lands. I love the way you wrap the end into the beginning or the beginning into the end. But brilliant. Look, you, this is part of your thing. You, I've, I've heard you talk about, and I've you know, done my research on you. You talk about the success void. And this, yeah. is sort of, this is sort of a part of that, right? There's a lot of people out there who you know, achieve a lot in life, get to a certain status. And, and, and from the outside, it looks perfect. It looks great. It, like, it looks like you've achieved it all. But inside, there's a huge hole that you feel like there's something complete that you've, you've missed something and this is, can't be what life's about because ultimately and it goes back to the sort of you know if you even not to quote the bible but you know it's, it's easier for you know a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get through the the gates of heaven there's an mm. element of the fact that you know all the material goods that we might collect on earth that don't actually make a difference so that traveling on that private jet doing certain things they're not going to actually fulfill us. They, they seem like that's what we needed. That's what we wanted. That was, that was the goal. But ultimately, once you've done it, you're like, well, shit, I still have this hole inside of me. I still feel either like I'm not worth it. I feel guilty. I feel like I'm, you know, you know shouldn't be here. Or I, or I feel like that, that I need something else. Or it continues on. And is that what the success void is all about? Yeah. And the thing that's so tricky about the success void is that getting the private jet, getting the girl, getting the money, getting the car, it works. But for a very short time, you get this hit where you feel like you're on top of the world and you get the new Porsche and you take your friends on a drive and you get to rip it down State Street and it feels great for a very short time. And so you think that it's like, okay, well, that worked for a short time. Maybe I just need to go bigger and you get the newer one or the prettier girl, or on the bigger, bigger jet, right? And so you get stuck in this rat, this rat race because it actually works for a short time, but it's not sustainable. And so that's what, that's what happening. That's what was happening with me in my twenties was, you know, I wasn't making like crazy millions and millions and millions of dollars, but for my age bracket, I was in the 1%, right? For being 24 years old and making a million bucks in the 1%. So I, I realized I'm like, wait, this isn't working. This isn't working. And that was actually like the scary, the scary point in my life, which actually led me down the rabbit hole. But, you know, nobody can fix you, but you. And that's what I realized. And that's, that's the work I did. So at what point, uh, at what point, you know, I mean, how, given what, given what we know and where we are, how to get the message across to, you know, to get the message across of, you know, happiness is is um, happiness is in here. It's not in your yeah. wallet. It's not freaking jet. Yeah. Happiness is solely completely in here. Um, I asked I had a billionaire neighbor, and I asked him the other day. You know, he just made another. You know, he just doubled his money, and I went, I went, when, when's it? Uh, you know, when 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 are you gonna? You know, when when are you gonna? When can you relax? You know, it's never it's never enough. Never never. It's never enough. It's never enough. And it's just like Jesus Christ. I am so freaking glad that I'm like almost a billion pounds poorer than him but uh, but just so fucking you know you know i literally can spend more time thinking about how fucking great i am to myself in silence in a room than i do about how much money i got you know and I, another read around me the other day said, um how are you and i said i'm wonderful and he went well what you're wonderful or you're having a wonderful time i said i'm wonderful i'm fucking great i said you asked me how i am it's, it's just amazing fucking i'm like one probably the most amazing person i know actually and I mean it, and I really yeah. meant it. I, I absolutely see her, and I mean it now. Um, but you know, that level of freedom, and it is freedom. It's complete freedom, and it freedom. really, it is freedom. And I mean, I'm I'm at that place where I have that these levels of freedom. I, so long as I'm not doing anything to other people that I wouldn't want done to myself. You know, you treating people in the way you want to be treated, then seriously, what's what's going to stop you? Um, but it's I find it's quite you know. I don't meet that many people in life who who who, who kind of have, have that level of freedom and have this level of, of like you know self-love. I'm like, and I remember a time when I was basically just love yourself, that's fucking weird. I mean, you, you know, but but you didn't really like understand the meaning. What low self-esteem? Well, how do I get how do I I know I've got low self-esteem, but how do I get it? 
but actually something comes to you, you know, it's just a right, you know, you've been a while, do that again, do the homework. How, 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 how can we change this, you know, we're feeding 12 year olds Instagram and this kind of shit and we're, we're like really screwing up here. I mean, really screwing people's brains up. Um, we haven't got religion, which used to actually teach you self-worth. I mean, you know, if you can follow the 10 commandments and pat yourself on the back, you kind of love yourself for being good in the eyes of God, right? I mean, that's at least sort of teaching you about loving yourself, right? But not more than, you know, than you love God, but it still kept you in the parameters. We don't even have that anymore. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, how, how's it, how's it, where's it going to, how's it going to come around? I mean, is it going to come around? That's a really good question. And I think that's my mission, you know? And I think the first step was for me was getting this book out, right? And just showing like, hey, like it is corny as it sounds, self-love is the ultimate superpower. Because like you said, it is, it is absolute true freedom. And what's interesting too on that note is making money, being successful, driving a Rolls Royce isn't bad. It's not a bad thing. But if you're trying to use those things to make you feel okay, you're, 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 you're toast. It's over, right? So I say, go heal yourself first. Go learn to love yourself. Go, go fix your wounds. Be the, be the most happy, enthusiastic, loving human being there is. Then go get the Rolls Royce and make the billion dollars and get the jet. That's fine. But it's like, if you're using those things to try and fix you, you're in trouble. And so how do we get out of this, pan, this, this, this mental pandemic? And I don't know. And I'm, but I'm going to do my very, very best to share this message and help people learn to love themselves because I think that's what the world needs right now. And when you say love yourself, I mean, I think for some people, I think where they get confused is, you know, they, there's a sort of fine line, right, between conceit and yeah, confidence. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, the difference people being that clearly, you know, to say one love oneself does not mean that you think you're better than others. Mm -hmm. It has to do with whether you believe that you are good enough and worth it. In the first, yeah, it's, it's, it's full. It's full self self acceptance of where you are right now. Yeah, without the full, need to in front of a mirror, flex. Yeah, no. yeah. And I think you know it, it reminds me of my favorite definition of contentment, which is being very content. Like I'm, I fully accept where I am in life right now, while being optimistic of a better future. Yeah. Like I know, I know I'm, I'm going to get better. I, there's a, I have a lot of flaws right now and I'm okay with it. I'm okay being flawed. Right. But I'm going to do my best to become better. And I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the journey where I am and I'm learning to love this version of me today. That is what I tell myself every day I wake up hungover. Yeah. <laughs> I will get better. I have done this before. There is a brighter future ahead of me and I just need to behave myself and I will get there. Um, everybody, this is amazing. Holy shit, we're alive. Uh, we're talking to Doug Cartwright. There's the book right there. If you're there watching, it it's a great book. Um, Tom, last orders, my friend. Okay, they say you can lead a horse to water, right? Do you consider that you can make people drink or, or do you just make people thirsty? Thirstier. Mm, I don't think you can make people drink. And I don't think you can make people thirsty. But I think I can help people become aware that they are thirsty and that there is water. Great answer. Good there answer. That's a good answer. Um, another weird, weird one, given the religion thing I just said, do you, do you see religion as a force for good or bad in general? In general. And Instagram is not a religion. <laughs> I mean, you know, one of the, the classic religions. In general, I would say it's a force for good. I think the, at the core root, I think the intentions are, are pure and positive. It's when ego gets involved with it that it can make it a little muddy and maybe not a force for good. But to answer your question overall, I would say good. Okay, good answer. Um, serendipity or synchronicity or both? To me, I think they're the same thing. Right. And 100% believer. And I've had too many experiences in my life where I'm like, okay, this is divine intervention. I surrender. Like when you're on the right path, living in a life of integrity, you'll see the dots connect. Okay. That's the question. Final question. But I'm gonna, this is a little different from the, the, than we've ever asked before. I said, I, it, normally I'd say shaken or stirred, but I'm gonna ask you shaken, stirred or blended? Mm. 
I'm a shaken guy because when I do get a drink, my go-to is a spicy margarita with mezcal. And they yeah. shake that one up. They shake that one up. And meanwhile, yeah. he did not bring that to the Shaken and Stirred show, people. No. Oh, Mr. Doug Wright, holy shit, we're alive. Decided to drink something that looked like it was going to kill him. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, living on the edge as usual. Uh, Doug Cartwright, thank you so much. Where can people find you? Doug underscore Cartwright on Instagram. They can buy your book on Amazon and anywhere good books are sold. Holy shit, we're alive. What else? What else do we need to know about you, my friend? Number one bestseller. I'm super proud of that. We hit number one bestseller on Amazon, which is super exciting. And I actually respond to all of my DMs on Instagram. So if you have a question or something's coming up or my book resonated with you, shoot me a DM on Instagram and I'll respond to you. He says that now, but when he has over a million followers, that's the case. But <laughs> that anyway, might change. get it while you can, is all yeah. I can say. And by the way, it was number one on, on the bestseller ranking list on, on Amazon uh, within 24 hours, people. So get this book. It means something and it really will make a difference. And you'll be happy about the holy shit, we're alive. Uh, you'll be alive. Everybody, shaken and stirred. See you next week. Uh, what a great episode this was. Doug, you're an absolute gem. Good luck with everything. And I look forward to meeting you in person and having a cocktail and one of those uh, margaritas with you soon. That'll All happen, right. my friend. Much love. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.